Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at anchor.fm slash allingospel or visit the allingospel.com website. All right, so we're in Genesis 27. Uh, for context so far, we've covered Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and now we're in the middle of Jacob and Esau. Uh, God has said that Jacob will inherit uh, the blessing, which is a major theme in the book of Genesis, is this idea that God decided that Abraham's family would bless the world. Um, and we've watched that blessing get handed down from one generation to the next. It's a big deal. Kids in the Abraham clan grow up knowing the blessing is this amazing, cool thing that you should have. However, we saw a while ago that Esau doesn't seem to care too much about the blessing. He'd rather go hunting. Uh, he'd rather have sod pottage. Uh, and Jacob really cares about the blessing. So um, the story we're in right now is how to do a transition between uh, Isaac's having the blessing and Jacob getting the blessing. Even though Esau traded it to Jacob over sod pottage, Esau is still trying to get that blessing from his father as they're a bit older now. And uh, uh, clearly uh, the father is on board with that because he likes Esau better because barbecue. Um, Esau goes on at the end of chapter 26. He marries two Hittite women, uh, causing two major faux pas with the family. One, he's marrying multiple wives, which is not um, kosher. <laughs> And two, um, he has um, let those wives bring, and part of why you don't marry Hittites is because they bring in their pagan gods. Mostly the god Dagon would have been coming into the home. So at the end of chapter 26, it says, um, when he was 40 years old, he took two wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So it really bothered Isaac and Rebekah that they brought these people in. Uh, the last chapter, 26, we saw Isaac away digging wells. And I still love the metaphor. I've been sitting on that metaphor for so long. Like what Christians do is we go out and we dig wells. We do the work, we find the living water, and then the world re reacts to that. And they either try to claim the wells or they fill them with dirt or they do something. But Isaac just faithfully keeps digging more wells um, and provides water for his people. And I think that's just a a beautiful image um, and how he deals with the Philistines who keep getting jealous with that. Um, so the jealousy comes from the Philistines in this chapter and the reason why I set all that up. In this chapter, we're going to see jealousy coming from within the family too. It's not just the Philistines that get jealous of this work of digging wells and living water and joyfully doing our life. So there's both outside the family problems and now in this chapter, we're going to see an inside the family problem. And again, if you're looking at some of those pieces, it's interesting that sometimes in the church, we have the worst enemies of joy are actually in the church already. And sometimes we have to face that. And even worse, sometimes those enemies of joy might be us. 
and we might be taking on some of those personalities. So God knew in advance the character of Esau. He said he would not get the birthright, and that's starting to come true. Um, also remember that God had promised things to Rebekah um, in chapter 25, 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in their womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. One of the people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. So that's the promise that he gave to Rebekah, and we're going to see how that starts to pan out now in 27. Verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, to him, and he said, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. And then he said, Behold now, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, go out into the field and hunt game for me and make me barbecue such as I love its savory food in your translation and bring it to me that I might eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Um, So apparently Isaac's gone blind. Um, If you do the math, he's going to live another anywhere from 23 to 43 more years. We know he's 40 when he married Rebecca in Genesis 25, 20. We know he was 60 when Jacob and Esau were born, 25, 26. We know that when Esau took wives, Isaac would have been 100 years old, 26, 34. And then in, if you move forward in Genesis 31, 41, Jacob stays with Laban until Joseph is born, which is about 20 years, which means Isaac grows to be 120 years old. And then Joseph is 30 years before Pharaoh, and we see that in 41, 46. So... That's 30 plus another seven years. Um, and in 3529, Isaac's still alive and he's at least 157 years old. In other words, he's whining. <laughs> I'm old and I'm stricken in years. You're not, he's going to live another anywhere from 23 to 43 more years. Um, and he's going to die at age 180 in Genesis 3528. We see that. So he's nowhere near dead. Um, and that's something that uh, he's just kind of. But Abraham did it too in chapter 24 when Abraham was old and well-stricken in age and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. He starts doing this kind of thing. It's almost like instead of writing a will, these patriarchs, as they get old, they want to kind of hand over the responsibilities of the family to their sons before they're dead. They want to retire is what they're doing. Um, Likely that folks would get sick, they'd feel like they're going to die and then they'd make all their arrangements because one of these times, you know, I am going to, go down is what he's thinking that my soul may bless you Isaac wants to bless Esau after trading his birthright and marrying pagan wives so Isaac's nowhere near death he's just blind and now he's making a secret deal with Esau why the rush is kind of the question I had why is Isaac doing that and first of all everybody in this story kind of does something wrong and one of the things Isaac does wrong here is he's in sin uh, he's trying to rush. We know that a, a trait of sin is people try to do things quickly. Another trait of sin is they try to do it in secret um, because they know it's wrong to do it. Um, he's trying to follow two worldly customs. One is primogeniture, which is the custom of giving everything to your eldest son, which is an odd thing to promise right now because God, God so far in Genesis has skipped primo, primogeniture almost, almost every time. Um, so as much as he likes the um, savory food, it's not a justification to give the older son the blessing. 
Uh, the second one is that there's a polygamy thing going on here, and Isaac knows that, uh, which is another reason he shouldn't probably give the blessing to Esau, but he's going to do it anyways. Verse 5, Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I've heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me the game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he might eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. So Rebecca sets up her own scheme. Uh, she's eavesdropping on Isaac, and she tries to set this up. Um, Jacob is going to object uh, and notice that she says, obey my voice in here two times. Uh, so she's invoking the right of mom, which is, I need you to obey me, Jacob. So at some level, Jacob's not there. And the reason I'm saying that is because every time I've heard this story, Jacob's the bad guy. Like he's the Weasley guy trying to get something. And he is he does lie to his father, and that's the sin that he makes. That's the major problem here. But this whole this whole scheme was thought up not by him but by his mother and she actually invoked the obey me mom thing which <clears throat> is a pretty big deal when your mom tells you to do something you should do it right Grant and Katie yeah so um and and she's making it very clear this is to please her um we know what God's will is from Genesis 25:23. um the air that both Jacob and Rebecca have here is they're trying to make that promise of God's happen on their own terms so they're trying to do things that aren't godly in order to get things that are godly. Verse 11. And Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall come, bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. So there's two ways to read this rejection or this protest that Jacob has. One is Jacob's only worried about getting caught, which is pragmatist, like, What's wrong here is that I could get caught, uh, which is another indication of sin. It's not that the act is wrong, it's that they got caught in the act. Um, and it's not the heart that's there. Um, he never says that it's wrong to do it, but he's worried about his reputation. Another way to read this sentence is that Jacob's saying no, and he's trying to give a reason to his mom, but the reason's the wrong reason. And he should have said, it's the wrong thing to do, mom. God will get this done. We don't have to interject here. You know, because Esau could have got the blessing and then God could have killed him, right? So that sort of thing. There's ways that God could have still got Jacob the blessing. Um, but he doesn't say that. He comes up with an excuse and that puts him in a his tough spot. So in verse 13, she invokes the obey me thing again. Uh, but his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. So she's basically saying you need to just listen to me here and do what I'm telling you to do. So um, Rebecca is feeling, and again, this is the tough part. Rebecca feels like she, she's justified in her sin because she's doing it for God. That makes it okay. And there's a problem with that because even if you're doing things for, for God, God doesn't tell us to sin. So this sin is going to grow. It's going to be a problem. It never does get justified. Um, and it becomes a rift in the family and it'll literally, literally split the whole family apart. So Jacob's complicit in the sin. He should have refused to do it, even though it was his mom. Um, Esau, um, 
is going to have, so he's going to have to leave an offended brother and he's going to have to run away, but we'll get there in a sec. So here's the typology and I won't come back to typology much more, but we've seen a lot of typology since Abraham changed his name. Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau all represent the struggles that happen within the church. They're all part of the bride of Christ, right? And there's this tug of war that's going to happen inside God's people uh, where one tries to get an advantage over the other, one tries to undermine the other, another schemes against the other. Um, there's lying that leads to hateful relationships. And all of this, they think, is going to try to fool the Isaac, the son-father figure. Um, but none of this fools them at all, and I think you're going to see that when we get to that part. While they're doing all of this, Isaac's out digging wells, and I think that's a nice image too, right? Last chapter, he was just out digging wells. And the people of God, what we should be doing is we should just be out doing the work of Christ instead of worrying about who gets to be first and who gets to have this and that and who gets credit for what. Um, so he's out doing that while his children are angling to be blessed um, and trade their holiness, which reminds me of when John and James's mom comes in and says, who's going to be first in the kingdom of heaven? I want this son to be first or that son to be first. And Jesus kind of rebukes him and just says, look, the person that the people are going to be the first or the ones that are the, the least shall be first. And so that's a very similar situation where you have two sons and a mom that approach Jesus and come to them with the same kind of contesting of each other. And it happens in almost every church in the world because churches are filled with humans that are sinners that are trying to do what's right by God. So that competition just almost always happens. Verse 14. And when he went and got them and brought them to his mother, his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, which had to be gross. They didn't have clothing washers there, so these would have been pretty ripe clothes, I bet. In verse 16, And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and the smooth part on his neck. So the goats that he brought in to cook for the food, she took the, this is fresh skin. She just ripped off a goat. So it's kind of disgusting, right? They didn't have time to cure it. That would have taken overnight. So this is raw, slap wet skins. It had to just be disgusting. Then she gave the savory food, and which makes you wonder how disgusting Esau was as a human being. Because this is the plan to get this guy past every other sense. So then she gave the savory food, verse 17, and the bread, which she'd prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went to his father and he said, my father. And he said, I am here. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game so that your soul may bless me. Here, Jacob lies. This is his sin. He actually lies three times, which has some significance biblically too. The only thing for Jacob is that is he's doing as his mom commands him to do, uh, but it's still a sin against his father. Jacob cites the plan. He then eats, then he blesses, and Isaac knows that there's something afoot because in verse 20, he's suspicious. So I think even though you're blind, let's assume Isaac's not an idiot. And if you shut your eyes and anybody in this room talks, it is likely you're going to be able to identify the person. The human ear is amazing, and it does pick up on vocal intonations. It would be pretty hard to not be able to know who is talking to you. So he gets 
he's suspicious here of what's going on. And I think at this point, Isaac knows that he's got a son lying to his face. So then the questions change a little bit, if that's the case. I could be wrong, but I think if Katie, well, if Levi and Grant both came into the room, by the way, Levi's my nephew and Grant's my son. But I think I could tell your voices apart easily. But if I said, who is that? And, and Levi said, it's Grant, your son. I'd be like, okay, let's play this out. I want to see where this is going. What are they trying to do here? So verse 20, Isaac says to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? So he's trying to catch, he's giving him an opportunity to fess up, but Isaac doubles down and he says, because the Lord your God brought it to me. That's lie number two. Only this time he uses the Lord's name in vain. So he's breaking another commandment. Isaac's clearly suspicious now. Um, By the way, Isaac's little secret plan with Esau has set this whole situation up. What could have been a really holy, awesome handing off of the blessing is now this ugly, nasty, dirty, scheming, plotting, icky story. Um, but here, there we are. Verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I might, I might feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. I think he knows what's going on. So he's going to try to catch the smooth-skinned boy in a lie. So Jacob went near Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Again, what must those hands have been like? At this point, you're thinking Esau is kind of a yeti. Uh, and, in, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And then he said, are you really my son Esau? Again, he's asking a third time. And, and I think it's one of those things where he's just trying to say, Jacob, really? You're going you're gonna to carry through with this lie? And Jacob says, he said, I am. And that's his third lie. Um, Jesus likewise would often we see this pattern a lot and, and this is hard to explain if you're not a parent a lot of times when a parent asks their kids a question it's not that you're trying to trap your kid or get them obviously you're on your kid's side right but you want to see where your kid's heart is at so you let them play it out a little bit Jesus did this with his disciples all the time uh, it's one of the ways he would teach and the goal was I want to know where your heart is at so let me ask you that one more time. Do you really want to go through with that? Are you really thinking that's the right decision? Have you thought through this decision? Who do you say that I am? Um, where do you think we should get the food to feed all these people? What do you think we should do? And Jesus would ask those kinds of questions on a regular basis. Um, after the kid lies three times in a row, though, what are you going to do, argue with your kid? Or are you going to just be disappointed? and realize, boy, your kid's really committed to this path. Um, if you skip forward to Genesis 32, verse 10, Jacob actually sees that this is a sin. He's the only one of the four people that actually repents of his sin in this chapter. And he says in, in verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. Jacob is actually deceived by Laban on his wedding night, which is interesting um, because Laban dresses up his other daughter, his more homely daughter, and tricks and puts her under the veil and Jacob marries her sight unseen. In other words, Jacob actually gets what he gave to his dad. 
he gets deceived as somebody dresses up to be somebody they're not. Um, so there's going to be kind of an ironic justice that comes. But Jacob repents of this and he feels remorse over it. Um, another thought before I go on to 25, it's pretty interesting in the Bible. It's one of the only texts of an ancient civilization where you see the heroes doing sin. And you'd think, that, I mean, if humans want to invent how, to, how the blessing was handed from one generation to the next, this is not the transition story you would invent as a human. This is a walking disaster. This is the new inheritor of the blessing has lied to his father three times. The mom is scheming with him. The other son is off hunting deer, clueless. And the father has been trying to do all these. This is not the story of a group of people you'd want to build your nation off of. Um, but I think that's because the main protagonist in the Bible, and we're starting, we saw this with Abraham, we're seeing it with Isaac, we're going to see it with Jacob. The main protagonist of the Bible is not human. And that's why the Jewish people could tell stories about human failing, is that humans aren't the hero of the story. The hero is the one we're waiting for. And the whole point of the blessing going from one generation to the next is that blessing came with a promise of the Messiah. And that's not the person in this story. So with every failing, the, the, we're being shown that these human errors mean that these are not the Messiah. Verse 25. And the other thing is when you get to the New Testament and Jesus is presented as this person that hasn't sinned, it's not like the Bible has a problem showing the sin of the main characters in the Bible. So it's not like that that's this, this horrible thing. So when you find somebody that really doesn't have any of these sins, it's pretty significant because these are not a group of people that were scared of writing down sin. Verse 25, and he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father said to him, come near to me now and kiss me, my son. Notice that he doesn't call him Esau. He calls him my son. I'm going to eat of my son's game. And he says, come now and kiss me, my son. Which is, in my opinion, one more reason to think Isaac knows what's going on here. So he doesn't give in to the lie. He knows what's what's there. And he gets this kiss. Um, my grandma was pretty funny. She was a lady that would like to tell stories. She was a teacher. She taught in a one-room schoolhouse. And she was a joy to meet because she was this old pioneer lady. And she was tough as nails. And she was really sweet. But all the grand, the cousins, would often kind of make fun of her because when she would start telling stories, she was like Bob. She would tell long stories. And the cousins would just kind of joke about, I remember when we first had Steph visit the family, they laughed because Steph got caught talking to grandma and grandma was telling her all these stories. And my wife's like, I love your grandma. She's a sweet woman. Why are they making fun of her? And grandma just turns and goes, oh, I know they make fun of me. And it was one of those things where I think sometimes the old people know more than they let on um, with the kids, but they let the kids have their illusions. And he just says, come here and give me a kiss. So the time of eating would have been excruciating for Jacob. I thought of that. While the dad's eating the meal, Jacob had to sit there in this lie. And you think of how horrible that would be um, to be in that moment. Um, and it probably smelled like goat. And he wanted to get these nasty goat skins off. Um, uh, I like that he eats anyways, and he enjoys the meal. Um, and when he gets back to talking to Esau, you can see that he probably took his time eating the meal. Um, notice that it's not the food that inspired the blessing 
it's the kiss that inspires the blessing, but that wasn't the plan. We just read that I might eat and my soul might bless you in verse four. And then in verse 25, it says, I will even my son's game so that my soul will bless you. Well, he gets done eating and there's no blessing there. In other words, Isaac's waiting for God to tell him to say something. And he's actually waiting for some sort of an inspired blessing to come out. Um, but then he gives the kiss and he smells the aroma of the field and that's what triggers the blessing in verse 27. And he came near and he kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth and of plenty of grain and wine. Let, the, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So he can't see, but he can still hear, and, he, and we've just gone through all the other taste, all the other senses. He's talked to him, so he's heard him. He asked to touch him, so he came and touched him. He ate of the food so he could taste it. I can taste the difference between Steph's cooking and my cooking and Katie's cooking and Grant's cooking. Um, so it's not hard to, t that's a taste test, so to speak, too. Actually, the first taste test. And and then the smell is what sets it off, that aroma. And we know that um, smell can be a really powerful thing. I think he knows he's been betrayed by his son, but he still gives the blessing. Um, and he knows that it's God's will because he is waiting for God to say something. And he didn't give the blessing right after he ate. But when he kissed him, the blessing just kind of came out. So I think Isaac gave the blessing because God told him to. Note that the blessing's in poetic form. That means it would have been memorized. Um, little Jewish kids for thousands of years have memorized that particular blessing. It starts with two different uses, the word Lord. In verse 27, uh, of which the Lord is blessed, note that that Lord is in all capital letters, which means it's Jehovah or Yahweh. Um, it's just those four letters without vowels. And then in verse 28, therefore may God give you, that God is the use of Elohim. So he's basically saying um, kind of more officially that the God of Israel, Jehovah, um, would bless you. And then he pray, prays for God Elohim, which is my God, or a more personal use of the word God. It's like the difference between saying father and daddy, um, even though Abba is actually the daddy. So there's a third one that the Jews use too. Uh, still limited is what God promised. Um, so the blessing of Isaac is not the blessing that Isaac got. It's far more limited, which is another indicator that Isaac knew what was going on and he was holding back because he did not bless Jacob with everything he was blessed with. Note the mother's sons bowing down to you. If Rebecca did share her talk with Isaac, then he's in, when he gives this blessing, okay, so here's the thing where Isaac's sinning. He's sinning either way you interpret this. So if he did, if Rebecca did share that she had heard from God and Jacob would be the one, then if he thinks this is Esau, he's in direct contradiction with what he thinks God has told his wife. Or if she didn't tell him, then this is a striking blessing that Isaac is be actually being led by God to give a blessing to someone he thinks he shouldn't give it to. Does that make sense? No, that didn't make a lot of sense. So if, it's es if he thinks it's Esau, then he's blessing Esau with a blessing that he shouldn't be because God told Rebekah that Jacob should get the blessing. So he's actually in defiance of God's will, right? If he thinks it's Jacob and he gives this blessing, 
then it's a remarkably similar blessing to the one God gave to Rebecca. If Rebecca told Isaac the blessing, then that's not even a miracle. He's just using the same words Rebecca did on the son that he knows is talking to him. If Rebecca did tell him and he thinks it's Esau, then he's defying both God and his wife, which gets him even worse trouble. So either way, so really the only way of those three options or those three combinations is that if he kind of knows this is Jacob and he's giving the blessing he should be giving, whether or not he heard it from Rebecca, he's using the same language that God gave to Rebecca too, which is kind of cool. So if this is actually inspired, which is what I think the passage claims is that the blessing is inspired by God, then he's using the same words that God did with Rebecca. I don't know if that's even an interesting point or not, but I just, I worked through it. Um, verse 30. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out. Now, Zach and Alyssa are going to think I just yelled at the dog, but I didn't. I was just not understanding my notes, so I skipped down. Zach, shadow's been wonderful so far. Verse 30, now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting and he had made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. So it says he'd scarcely gone out, which is an interesting phrase in verse 30, uh, which makes it almost like a TV show where, I, where Jacob's walking out the door and Esau's coming in the door at this almost at the same time. The drama is there. God took a vow to Jacob seriously. Um, he sold his birthright, and God's actually going to see it through here. Um, notice how Esau identifies himself. I'm your son, your firstborn Esau, um, which is a lie because... Esau has not, he's claiming the right of firstborn, which is a technical legal term. Uh, and he sold that right to Jacob. So Esau, that's Esau's kind of sin here, is he's trying to claim something that he's already given away. And it wasn't really his to give in the first place because God had given it to Jacob before he was born. Um, he says it like it justifies him. And this is true to Esau's character. Um, well, I'm the firstborn, and therefore I deserve all these things. Uh, this is kind of like a spoiled child. To think we deserve anything is not necessarily the way the Bible presents a good person. Um, it's really similar to the when, when the Pharisees would cite their training when they met each other. So a typical introduction from a Jewish Pharisee, um, especially at the time of, of when Paul was writing his letters, is that they would say who they trained under. Like, I'm so-and-so, and I trained under so-and-so, and I went to this school. And Paul does an introduction like that and then wraps it up and says, but none of that means anything. Um, and But Esau is doing that. I'm Esau, I'm your firstborn. Uh, like it means something. And so far in the Bible, that hasn't meant anything. Um, it's actually made you less likely to get the blessing of God. Um, so we're not justified by birth order. God looks at our heart. We're saved by grace, not by works, lest anyone should boast. And Esau's coming in boasting. Paul's point in Galatians 2, 15 through 16, um, and this is where he kind of gets into that. We who are Jews, this is, I'm sorry, Galatians 2, verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, 
knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but in faith in Jesus Christ. Even when we've believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law or by the works of the law that no flesh should be justified. So just because you're the firstborn and maybe the law makes that a legal thing, like pro, you know, progenesis, that you should get the birthright, we're not, that's not what makes us stand before our Father. And go, we can't just say, well, we deserve to be saved or we're a really good person and that it just seems right that we should be saved by that. That's not what saves us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it's a gift from God, it's not your works, lest anyone should boast. So Esau's real sin here is he thinks he deserves something that he doesn't deserve. He hasn't earned it. He hasn't worked for it. Um, so Isaac trembles a great tremble. That's either because God's working in him or he's upset, depending on how you read this particular passage. Again, if this is where Isaac figures out that he's been fooled, he could tremble, but to tremble exceedingly uh, seems like an odd phrase. Um, or it could just be that this has just been something where he's realized um, just how messed up this whole situation is. Verse 33, then Isaac trembled exceedingly and he said, who, where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came. I blessed him and indeed he should be blessed. Does he not know who it is? So I think again, Isaac's playing with his son here and he's, again, depending on how you read this, could be that he's actually realizing right now that he's been fooled. Another way to read this is he's really working on Esau a little bit, and I think in the future verses this you'll see where that plays out. Who's the one who hunted the game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came. In other words, I took my time eating Esau. Why did you take so long? Like somebody who actually wanted the blessing just came and got it, and you're late to the table, and I took my own sweet time eating that meal. I tried to give you every chance to get back here and give it to me. I blessed him and he should be blessed. That implies that like the blessing is some sort of magic spell that once it's been used, he can't bless another human being. Um, and we're going to see later that he does bless other people. He even blesses Esau and he's going to bless Jacob again. So it's not that the blessing's some magic formula that was given away like a baton and now that it's gone, he can't get it back. A blessing's a blessing. It's not a big magic formula. God can speak a blessing through a person multiple times. Um, note that Esau does not answer his dad's question. And he starts to act like a spoiled brat. He just makes demands of his father. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceeding great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, me too, oh my father. Again, he's not the most... Um, prolific speaker in the Bible, and we've seen that a couple times already. Um, he cries a bitter cry. Uh, that's an important adjective that gets added in there. Bitter in that particular word means angry, discontent. Uh, bless me, me also, my father. He's, it's all me, me, me. Uh, that's only two words, um, which is bless, bless me, dad. It's, it's, it's hard to translate that in our language in, in the two words that are the Hebrew. Um, so they do, bless me, me also, O oh my father. It's actually only two words in the Hebrew. Verse 35, but he said, your brother came with deceit. Uh, that word is merma in the Hebrew, and it's a really tough word to translate. It could mean subtlety or falsely, which is, I think, where this entire chapter gets mis 
presented sometimes. It wasn't that Jacob was really actually fooled his dad. He was being subtle. Um, and he took away your blessing. Your brother came and he wanted it and he worked for it and he got it. So Isaac repeats himself with his own question. Esau is reduced to being bitter and crying. Please note that Esau is not a child. He's 70 years old. This is a 70-year-old man bitterly crying because he didn't get a blessing from his dad. This is a really sad man at that age. Uh, he's been away from camp. He hasn't taken on responsibilities. We saw at the end of a, uh, or the last time we saw him, he despised his birthright. Now he wants his birthright, so he's not a faithful, solid human being. Uh, he weeps, but there's no evidence at all that he wants anything from God. He just wants the stuff. Now be careful about yourself. Follow after peace with all men. Don't allow bitterness to fill your heart. This is Hebrews 12. Any root of bitterness coming in will trouble you, and it defiles many people around you. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears. That's Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. So what did he seek? So that, that's referring to this passage in Hebrews. What is it that he wanted from his dad? Um, it says he found no place doesn't mean that he tried and Isaac wouldn't give it. It means Esau never tried. There was no place in his heart to ask for the things of God. At least that's how the Hebrews people interpret it. He has tears and he's mad and he's angry and there's drama and there's emotion. But if you stop for one second and say, what were you asking for, Esau? What was your point? Why were you so mad? Jacob got what you didn't want in the first place. So why are you angry? The only reason he's angry is he's jealous. So it's just like the last chapter with the Philistines. They're jealous of these wells that Isaac was digging. So they fill them with dirt. Who does that? Why would you wreck something that someone else has built in good faith? Just because you're mad? Just because you're bitter? Just because you're jealous? What does it look like when you run into people who you've done some awesome, amazing things and all they want to do is complain about it and be mad about it and be bitter about it and really just fill up your well when they could be off digging their own wells? Mind your own business and do your own thing. So Esau is bitter. Verse 36, and Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Remember that means heel holder. For he has supplanted me these two times. So he full well remembers he gave away the blessing before. He mentions it right here. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing. So now he's name-calling. He's making fun of Jacob's name. That's not nice. Um, he's twisting the truth. He says Jacob took away his birthright. But we read the story. We were just there a couple weeks ago. He, Jacob didn't take anything away. He made a fair deal. He says, I'll trade you the stew that you want and you give me your birthright, and Esau gave it away willingly. Um, so he's lying to his dad here. He's twisting the truth. And it's the same thing when we deal in conflict with people. The first thing people tend to do is twist the truth. First thing we tend to do is twist the truth when we want to get our way. Um, but that doesn't make it right. Also, Isaac also gave the blessing. Um, it was not something that Jacob just stole, right? Isaac gave it. He's taken away my blessing. He's not giving credit to his dad. His dad gave the blessing. God spoke through him, which means God gave the blessing. This is not Jacob's fault. It's just that Esau is trying to rewrite history. This keeps happening with those people who reject the blessing. 
then they lose it, and then they get jealous of it. Let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 45. But then some of the Jews saw the crowds. They were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. So Paul's got lots of people listening to the gospel, and the Jewish people get angry. The Jewish people rejected the gospel, right? That's these same Jewish leaders that kicked Paul out of the synagogue, and now he's got crowds listening to him, and they get jealous, and then he, they just start arguing with him, trying to fill his well. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you, but since you've rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we offer it to the Gentiles. We offered it to you, and you said no, and now we're here talking to people who actually want it. I think this is similar, at least this is my spin on this chapter, I think it's similar to what Isaac's doing with his two sons. I tried to give this to you, Esau. I've tried for years. You're a 70-year-old man, and I've tried to give you the chance to take up this mantle of being the firstborn in this family, and you've rejected it for so long. I just get, Finally, I just gave it to Jacob because he wanted it so bad. He dressed up in a goat skin to get it, right? And he's lying to get it. He's pursuing it with everything he has. And he's not using the right method, but... I have two very unperfect sons, and I'm going to give it to the one that wants it. Romans 10 cites Deuteronomy 32. Um, I wanted to give credit for who cited this. But Deuteronomy 32.21 says, They have roused my jealousy by worshiping things that are not God. They've provoked my anger with their useless idols. Now I will rouse their jealousy through people who are not even a people. I will provoke their anger through the foolish Gentiles. So God has this attitude too. I tried to give it to you. You didn't want it. And you were I was jealous of you because you're off worshiping the next Marvel movie and the next great book that came out and the next entertainment media, the next idol that came out. Well, God gets a little jealous of that. Why aren't we celebrating him? Why aren't we worshiping him? Why aren't we studying his word on a Sunday night? Because we think that's kind of fun in a weird, geeky way. And God says, okay, well, fine. I'm done trying to win your heart. I'm just going to go into this romance with the Gentile Jewish mix of the church called the Bride of Christ. And that's where I'm going to put my time and energy. And it's kind of a, in its own way, it's kind of a sad story, but it's also for those people that do want to be in relationship with God, those blessings are amazing. We don't deserve God's blessings, so when we get God's blessings, we actually become pretty excited about that. Thank you very much. But for people who think they've earned it or that they're justified because of their good works, they tend to get bitter and angry and mad. So you look at the, Paul tells us to look at the fruits of the Spirit. The people that really have the blessing are the people that are thankful for it and knew that they didn't deserve it, and the people that think they should have the blessing, but they don't get it. They get bitter and mad and angry at these simple idiots with all their joy, like the Grinch who stole Christmas. He just gets mad because those people are just singing all the time. And there's people like that in the church too. I'll keep going. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And again, this image of a blessing is like, did you hold one back? Did you keep something in your cabinet for me? Verse 37, that Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I've made him your master. And all his brethren I've given to him as servants. With grain and wine I've sustained him. What shall I now do for you, my son? So when once the blessing is given, Isaac perceives the blessing as law. It's spoken and binding. Once it's out of the gate, it can't be brought back. And this is the part where I said I'd come back. I think this is where 
Isaac's testing Esau a little bit. Because look at that sentence carefully. And if Isaac's, Esau is so riled up in his bitterness and anger, he doesn't listen to the question. But the question's pretty amazing. What shall I now do for you, my son? It's an open door, right? What do you want? Here's what I gave to Jacob, but what do you want? And I think he's testing him. It's either a rhetorical question or it's a testing question. If it's rhetorical, then verse 39 won't make any sense at all. If it's a testing question, then verse 39 will make sense. He's giving Esau a chance to repent, just like he gave to Jacob. And in other words, here's another way to ask this question in, with this reading. Esau, is there anything else you can possibly think of that I could bless you with? Because I gave, I, basically he gave Jacob the things of the world. I gave him some slaves and I gave him food and wine. So he's got stuff, all that stuff Esau wants, and he, he wants that power and he wants the stuff. Is there anything else in life that you might want to be blessed with, Esau? Because here's the, it's like the same question God asked Solomon, what can I give you? What do you possibly want? And Solomon wisely asks for wisdom, if you remember that story. And he's given the same kind of question to Esau, but Esau is not Solomon. He is not a smart guy. Let me give you some options. If God, if you're ever in a moment where God or anyone in your life says, what can I bless you with? Let me just give you a few options that Esau had here that he could have, he could have asked for peace, joy, any of the fruits of the spirit, a healthy family, his own personal health. He could have asked for more friendships because this man needed friends. He could have asked for more food and drink. It's not like there's a limit on those things. He could have asked for those too. But most importantly, he could have asked for just God's blessing on his life. God blessed both Ishmael and um, Isaac, right? Ishmael was blessed too. He was bountiful. We saw that in a previous chapter. So he could have asked for any of those things. He could have asked for a change of mind, right? He could have asked for, for, for Isaac to repent. Dad, I'm, here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for you to change your mind. You, he did it by deception, and I'm asking for justice. He could ask for justice. He could have asked for forgiveness. Esau could have said, I want to repent and just, I'm sorry, Dad. I, I, I didn't appreciate this blessing until now. He doesn't ask for anything. Do you see that in the next verse? He asks for nothing. So Cain can't see past what God can give materially. And to think that an anointing has anything to do with spiritualness, Cain misses that. So he asks for nothing. And what's God going to give him? nothing. He gets what he asks for. And as Christians, sometimes that's something we should think about with our prayers. You're often going to get exactly what you ask for. Verse 38, Nisah said to his father, have you only one blessing, father? Bless me, me also, oh my father. He just repeats himself. He's a broken record. Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So he repeated himself, only this time he did it louder and more annoying. Like lifted up is in Hebrew, the word nasa. Uh, which is to carry, to lift up, to take things up a notch. So it's when you go to something where somebody's crying and then they cry louder. Have you ever heard that? And it's almost like they're crying because they want to be heard crying. So he's crying louder. Um, and you think, wow, why would you use that to try to do that? Wept is baka, which means can also mean to complain, to be sore, to bewail. But it's not the wept of a broken heart. It's the wept of somebody who didn't get their way and is upset about that. Esau's weeping tri triggers another prophecy from God. So a kiss from Jacob triggers 
a voice from God through Isaac. But notice that it's Esau's weeping that triggers it for him with his son. So even after all that conversation, and this is why 39 needs to make sense, it wasn't rhetorical because Isaac's about to give him a kind of blessing. He's going to give him a word from God. So it's not that Isaac didn't believe that that could happen or that it wasn't going to happen. He just wanted to know what Esau was asking for. And Esau just can't think of anything beyond the material. So verse 39, then Isaac said to his father and answered him, behold, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. So similar to what he gave Jacob. But verse 40, it's not similar. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Um, Fatness and dew of the earth are both a blessing to Jacob too. Um, Some translate shall be from the fatness of the earth. There's only one word, it's mashman. Uh, So you can read that as your dwelling shall be the fat of the earth, which is a bad thing. Um, Or you can read that as shall be from the fatness of the earth, that you shall have the bounty of the earth. It can be a positive thing. Either way, it's not the point of the story, so I didn't get too far into that. Esau will serve under Jacob, but not forever. That's kind of a blessing. Uh, Esau's descendants are going to end up being the Edomites, the red people, uh, which is really funny from the stew story, and who are under the dominion of the Israelites for a time, but finally revolted, uh, so they don't stay under the Israelites forever. Uh, When Moses asked to cross through the land, it's the Edomites that prevent them and they become an ongoing antagonist for Israel. Um, And the Edomites try to invade Israel, but they always try to partner with other people, which is why I was saying he needs more friends um, to try to invade Israel. The last Edomite we know of is Herod, uh, King Herod of Udumea and his family. Um, And when they leave from the Bible narratives, we don't see any more Edomites in history. They seem to just not exist anymore. However, Israel is still there, and you can go visit and tour Israel and meet Israelites that are all over the planet. So this is not an easy passing of the baton. This is not how you want this to happen. Verse 41, So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him with. Um, Good friends cheer for you and celebrate when good things happen to you. Bad friends get mad and bitter and hate you when good things happen. Esau is not a good friend or a good brother. And Esau said in his heart, the days, when the days of mourning of my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you, concerning you by intending to kill you. When dad dies, I'm going to take what's mine. So Esau is going to ignore his dad's blessing and whatnot. He's going to kill Jacob and take everything. And and so he doesn't respect his dad. There's no honor here. Um, The birthright's given prior to death uh, so the chosen could establish themselves. I think this is part of what Abraham and Isaac were doing. If they give the birthright to this kid instead of that kid, they could have 20 to 30 years to be in charge. So they're really established. And then you don't have a lot of violence when somebody passes. And that's a problem throughout history. When kings die... There's this struggle for the throne that happens and people get killed in those moments. So I think by by doing this, you have less violence in transition and it's an inspiration for giving up leadership while you're still alive and healthy and well. The word anger is actually the word satam. It's 
one curly mark off from the word Satan in the Hebrew. So if you, in my notes, I actually have the Hebrew lettering here. It's worth looking up. It's a really similar looking word to Satan. So, um, and the Bible associates hatred and Satan really close. And this jealous bitterness is really the character of Satan too. This isn't of God. This is a bitter heart coming out. It's really close to satanic when you hate someone because something good has happened to them. Um, anger blocks the humility. It blinds Esau from any sort of grace and it stunts the growth of people that are in it. When you're angry, you're probably in the wrong. And it's something where you need to stop and find some peace and joy. Um, that all said is I think exactly what the Bible's trying to say in the book of Hebrews. That passage I read from Hebrews, that's exactly what they're saying. They read this story and they see bitterness leading to that anger, which leads to these this heart of murder that he has for his brother. It just grows and it has this progression to it that no Christian should let that take root in their heart ever. We should never be jealous when good things happen. Um, this idea that he comforts himself with murder. Um, let's not just paint Esau as a bad guy here. I think it's important when we read the word to think, to what degree do I have that kind of heart too? Has there ever been anyone in your life where you've thought, boy, the world would be a better place if they just weren't here? Wouldn't life be better if that person didn't exist? Because that's a step away, that comforting yourself when you really don't like someone. Um, it's such a hard, sneaky thing that sneaks into the heart. And out of the heart come these evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. That's Matthew 15, 19. Matthew says in chapter 5, you've heard... You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. And this is Jesus talking, verse 22 of Matthew 5. But I say to you that whoever's angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, jerk, you know, calls a nasty name, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Notice that the progression Jesus uses goes from really bad things to just calling somebody a dummy is like a low-level nastiness, but the consequences Jesus uses get bigger and bigger and they end with hellfire. When we think of other people and we think, man, I don't like that person, um, in our hearts, the Bible says that's being really close to this kind of negative Esau-like thinking about his brother, and it's horrible, and it weaves its way and it sickens the heart. Part of our goal as Christians is to elevate other people and think them better than ourselves and lift up other people around us in our life. And if we can do that, we're counteracting that tendency that people have in the flesh. Rebecca asked for Jacob to honor and obey her one more time in verse 43. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Jacob's uncle, that's who Laban is, um, we saw Laban because he helped negotiate for Rebecca to get married. Um, we remember that Laban liked the money and he looked at Rebecca's nose ring and thought that nose ring was awesome. Um, so he's drawn to those sorts of things. Verse 44, and stay with him for a few days. It's going to be about 20 years that he stays with Laban, not just a few days. Until your brother's fury turns away. 
until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him? Wait a second. She commanded him to do this and she's just blaming Jacob. He's getting thrown under the bus. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? Wait, why is she bereaving Esau? I, she's making no sense right now. And she, this is going to be the last time she sees her loved son. She's about to say goodbye to Jacob and she's never going to see him again. Verse 46, and Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. That's the Hittite daughters that, that Esau married. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are with the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? And there's some truth to that. Rebecca's supposed to be giving birth to the next generation of Hebrews. And if they're marrying off to Hittites, that's not going to work. So like his dad, Jacob is now a late bloomer. He's around 70 years old too. Uh, he needs to go find a wife at age 70. Um, he's been busy doing the work. He hasn't been anxious to go get married right away. Uh, he can't easily go on this road trip, um, but he's going to because he doesn't want to marry the Hittites in the land that they're living in. Um, I still think that line, what you have done to him, is interesting because she must have not read verse 27 when she came up with all of this stuff. Uh, this was her plan to start out with. Uh, Rebecca creates a solid justification for Jacob to leave. Um, note that in her her passage to Isaac there, it's kind of all about her. I'm weary of life. My life won't be worth. It's all about me. And she puts it on her herself. Um, so we have amongst the bride of Isaac and her children that none of these people are worthy of the, the inheritance of God. Those that aspire to God's blessing are going to do so to, by manipulating their father, Jacob. There's those that aspire to God's bless, blessing and will justify their sins, like Rebecca. And then there's those that neglect the spiritual, like Esau. That's not a good set of personality characteristics to have in a family. Um, on the other side, pursuing the blessing with schemes and bossiness creates loss, separation. And notice Rebecca used the word, I'm, I fear. Um, so it causes fear. And the compromise and the sin that comes in uh, the consequence is not seeing the blessings for Jacob. He doesn't see him for a long time. He's going to spend 20 years with Laban before he starts seeing some of those blessings. And then the neglect from Esau, the consequence of that is that he gets no birthright and he's just mad and angry and bitter about it. So essentially, this is a bummer chapter. And I'm telling you that at the end instead of starting at the beginning of it. This is a really bummer chapter. Everybody loses. Nobody comes out of this with a win in this story. They all lose something. On the other hand, if there's any up note to this, despite all these imperfections, God's going to still give Jacob a blessing. And he's going to still work with Jacob, even though he's a broken, sinful, fallen guy. And Jacob's going to continue with this personality trait of wrestling with God to get that blessing. And we're going to see that in the next chapter. He just wants to be blessed by God, and he keeps seeking God out. So Jacob goes off. He's going to go be with God's people or Laban's family. He's going to work as a herdsman for a long, long time. That is not that is a demotion from what he's been doing for 30 or 40 years. He's been the head of that household running the camp for a long time, and to go just be a herdsman for Laban, uh, he's taken a pay cut, um, and he's going to be working for minimum wage, um, and he's going to have to wait until chapter 35 before he sees a blessing from God. 
in the meantime, we get to learn a ton of lessons on how he lives his life and what he does. There's a lot of time spent on Jacob in the Bible. So the baton is handed off, and we're now on to kind of Jacob's story in the Bible. Um, so with that, we'll wrap up. Dear Lord and King, thank you for bummer stories, because sometimes in life we have bummer weeks and days and months. Um, and Lord, we see people fail in the Bible, and we've done the same things. We're not above the anger and hatred of Esau. We're not above scheming and plotting. We're not above trying to manipulate. We're not above compromising and sinning when we know that we shouldn't, like Jacob did. Uh, Lord, we are no better than any of these people in this story. And that's the power of the Bible, is that you still bless them, and you still work through all of this nonsense. Uh, you still find your plan moves forward exactly as you say it will, despite human beings. And uh, the way it's carried out is such an amazing thing. Lord, we just pray that we can learn that when we look around our world this week, that we can recognize people for what they are and what they're doing, and we can still love them. Uh, Lord, help us to love people despite their sins because you've loved us despite our sins. Um, you used us, Lord, even though we didn't earn it, um, and we haven't Nothing we can do to work for it is going to help move it any faster than when it happens in your time and in your way. Lord, help us to just therefore turn to you and ask for your will and ask for your nudgings and ask for your still small voice to tell us what to say in every conversation and what to say to, to people. Um, Lord, help this word to be buried in our heart. Um, help us to reflect and be reminded of uh, the stories we read about, Lord, so that you can change us not so that we can change other people. Lord, so help mold us and shape us and turn us into the servants you, you want in the right situation at the right time. In your name we pray. Amen. If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.